Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you don't got your Bibles, uh, tilt your head about 12 degrees upwards, and it shall be on the overhead display. In fact, it's already there, isn't it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's one of those difficult things, where do we begin? Because it's all so good, but we're going to arbitrarily sort of start at verse 16. Um, this is Paul is, is in the midst of defending himself in context to the Corinthians. He's saying, you know what, uh, this is why you guys can actually trust me and listen to me as opposed to the false teachers that are coming in. He um, says here, verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means, you've heard this verse a few times today, you've seen it on the overhead, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has come. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Can we just pause? Have you, have, have you ever pictured God on his knees going, please? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or to put it another way, God made him who was without sin to be sin. So that we could share the righteousness of God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness finish the sentence, and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is tomorrow, when you are on your deathbed. No, indeed, the right time is now, today is the day of salvation. If you remember last week, we finished with, a, with an illustration of a car. We, our, our, our car immobilizer broke down, and so the RAC had to tow us back home. 
from Morley all the way back to Golden Bay. And they did that last week. And as we were driving back, he was telling us the story of how he's going to go to America with his wife and he's going to buy a car. It was a GT, car talk, car talk, car talk, fancy orange car. American muscle car. He's been dreaming about it. He's going to drive along Route 66 in his brand new American car, the GT, and then he's going to ship it back home and have it here. And we spoke how, how there's, there's three stages to, to being with something. You, you First of all, you treasure it. This guy's been dreaming about this car. I'm sure he's, he can tell you where you get it. He can tell you how much it costs. He can tell you uh, how many there are. He can tell you what year it was made. He can tell you what color he's going to get. He's gonna, he can tell you he's going to ride along Route 66. He's going to experience this car on this road. He's, he's got an image in his head. He treasures it so much. Which is fantastic, but useless if you don't actually find yourself united with that car. He's got to go to America. He's got to buy the car. He's got to own it. Which is still not enough because his dream isn't having the car. What, what matters isn't just this abstract, I own a car. No, in order for him to realize his ambition, he's got to treasure it. Uh, so much that he desires it and that he goes and purchases it. And then he's got to jump in the car and, and actually drive it along Route 66. You, can, can you picture him with arm out of the window, other arm around his wife going, yeah, I'm driving my car. <laughs> Route 66. <laughs> it's American. You don't need to steer. <laughs> Good point. Good point. He'd be like this. And foot for the steering. It, it, I don't know. Anyway, he's going to have to drive the car somehow. Switch it on, start the ignition. And, and last week we saw that, that in, in a similar way, if we are talking about being with God, there's three parts to that as well. We have to treasure God. We have to so desire him. And we saw last week, Jesus said to us, are you going to count the cost? Is, is me, is Jesus worth it to you? How much do you value him? And, and we saw a couple of parables right at the end of, of the guy who was digging in a field and he found some treasure and, and he buried it up quickly. He sold everything he had and he said, that treasure is worth it all. Or a, a pearl trader who was looking for pearls and he found this most incredible pearl, went and sold everything he had and, and bought that one pearl. And in the same way, the question is, how much do we treasure God? Do, do, is he worth everything? Are we willing to give up family, friends, um, anything, our life? Are we willing to take up our cross? Is Jesus worth that to us? Because if, if we don't desire God like that, then I'm, I'm sorry, but we will never be with him. Now, who here is just worried by what I said? I'm good, because I'm worried by what I said as well. You know what? Uh, we don't desire him like that, do we? So absolutely. Who here dreams of eternity with God every single night? Who... Come on, real Christians, put up your hands. <laughs> Debbie, you, you look like you're going to say something. <laughs> you know what? Part of, part of the fact that we are not yet 
redeemed is that we are not yet perfect and we don't desire God as we should. But part of the Christian walk, Paul's prayer is that we would know God more, know the height and depth and width of the love of God. And the more we see God, the more we, we know Jesus, the more we understand the depth of, of what God has done for us, the more we should desire him. The question we should be asking most is, is not, is God my absolute desire? The question we should be asking is, when it comes to God, do I desire Him or what He can do for me? So often, and I stand ashamed here myself and I say, this has been me for many years of my life, so often we, we are concerned more about what God can do for us. And isn't it true that we can reduce the gospel down to a, um, get saved and you get a free ticket to heaven. Get saved and it's a get out of hell free pass. It's like you're playing Monopoly on a cosmic scale. And, and God becomes the means to the end. God's just the way to heaven. God's just the way out of hell. But but God is so much more than that. God is so much more than that. And I think what happens there is when we we separate the idea of being united with God to the idea of treasuring God. John Piper, I've said this before, uh, speaking about, about eternity with God, he says, if you, you will not get to heaven, I've mentioned this two or three weeks in a row, you will not get to heaven if you would be happy there without Jesus. If you would be happy in eternity without Jesus' presence, you will be without Jesus' presence for all eternity. Let's get back to, to our, our passage for today. Um, do you remember when you were knee-high to a grasshopper, walking down the street? Now, some of you, um, this is in those days when they had lovely old sweet shops. Um, in fact, all of us. If you're a kid, every sweet shop is lovely. Can you imagine standing outside the sweet shop and looking at, I don't know, a gobstopper or a, think in your head now quickly of your favorite sweet as a child. You got it? You don't have favorite sweets? You got it. You got it in your head. Can you picture it? Are you, is, your, is your mouth starting to, to generate a bit of saliva as you're thinking about this, this most amazing sweet? You, you, you picture yourself outside the window of the candy shop. And there it is. It's like got the soft glow around this lolly that you are interested in. Maybe a bar of chocolate. Can you picture it? And you're gone and you're standing there and you've got absolutely no money in your pockets whatsoever. You know, as much as we might desire God, as much as we might treasure God, as, as much as we might say, yes, absolutely, God is worth it. 
What Jesus has done is worth it. Knowing him is infinitely far more valuable than anything else in this world. As much as we might treasure God, we have no money in our pockets. There's nothing we can do about it. There's, there's a, a blockage, a, a barrier, a, a window separating us from God. Look at what Paul writes here in, in verse 18. He says, he says over there, All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. Think back again to your childhood and, and I'm assuming everyone here has a parent or someone who raised you. Every child has a relationship with their parent. It could be a fantastic relationship, it could be a rotten relationship, but, but every child has some sort of relationship with their parent, and, and in the same way, every human has a relationship with God. God's intention when he created us was that we would live in a, in a good relationship with him of trust and obedience and, and, and fellowship and joy and happiness and, and walking with him and God walking with us and, and just this absolute, just the best of best relationships. But, but we read in the Bible from the get-go how sin enters into the world and and, and with it comes this, this sense of estrangement from God, the sense of hostility to, to what God wants. And it's what I want that matters, not what, what God wants. And uh, you think of Eve, she ate the fruit. Uh, why? Because it, it looked good, it was desirable. And why was it desirable? Because she would be like God. Because if she ate it, she would be like God without having to go through God. I think one of the, the fundamentals of human sin and rebellion is that we want to be God in our own right. We don't want to be under God. We want to be His equals. And even today, as Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We live thinking my way is better than God's way. And the result, of course, our relationship with God is broken. And yet God says quite plainly, again, Isaiah 45, he says it twice in two verses, five and six, he says, I am the Lord. There is no other God. God, I'm equal with you. I am the Lord. There is no other God. And so Isaiah says in chapter 59, verse 2, that our iniquities have made a separation between us and God. Your sins, says Isaiah, have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. The Bible says quite clearly all of us are sinners by nature, by conduct, from birth. We are alienated from God. Some of you are sitting here going, oh, I've heard this. Have some of you heard this? Hmm? No? Wayne's heard it. Well, bear with me. If you, if you think about human relationships, sometimes things go sour. And people become estranged. Now what often happens when, when you have a, a husband and a wife, for instance, that become estranged is that you can bring a third party in to act as a mediator 
to try and resolve some of the tension. But have a, have a think about the relationship between God and us. Who is the aggrieved person? God is the one that has been wronged against. We are the cause of the estrangement. And it's not that God's sitting there in heaven going, Ha! They did that! They did that! They did that! And it's a cold, calculated, ticking the boxes. Ha! Swore today. Hmm! Thought a wrong thought today. Hmm! Did that today. Hmm! Made a comment to Ah! God's not there really angry with us going, The Bible, I I think, shows God approaching our our rebellion and our sin in a a different way. God's response to human sin is not cold and calculating. It's it's personal and, and deep and emotional even. You think of the story of Noah. God looks on the earth that he made and... Are we dripping into that? Oh, it's a bird. Wow, fascinating. Okay. (laughs) Well, speaking of birds and rain, reminds me of the story of Noah. (laughs) Um, You remember God wiped everyone out with the amazing rainstorm. Never going to do it again that way. But before that, we see God looking and just being absolutely sorrowful at the state of the planet, of human wickedness. And, and then you see Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. Do you remember what, what Jesus does that last time he comes into Jerusalem? He weeps. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen does her chicks, and yet you would not come to me and live. That's not a cold calculating, you've done that, you've done that, you've done that. That's a, oh, I am broken inside. Can, can you imagine God's brokenness inside, if, if God can be broken inside? But, but there's, there's this, it's, it's, it's not cold and calculating, it's, it's personal and, and deep and real. God longs for this brokenness to be undone. God's desire is for people to be saved. I mean, from a human perspective, there's nothing we can do. We, we did the wrong by God. We can't just, we, I can't hit John across the face and then come and sit next to him and go, yeah, how are you going, John? Yeah, we'll, we'll just carry, nothing really happened. So. I can't even come and say, if I bash John up, I'm not going to bash you up, John. And put him in hospital, and then I go, yeah, really sorry about that, John. So anyway, tell me about your day. Pretty sore. Pretty, well. <laughs> if, I, if I can't beat John up and then just apologize and everything's okay, he's still sore. How can we rebel against God and kick him in his face and give him the proverbial finger and then say, oh, and now I've decided I'll be your friend.
we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Life with God. is based on the view that relationship is at the core of the cosmos. Um, God the Father has always been in relationship with God the Son, has always been in relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And it's not surprising that when God wants to restore, and God wants to restore the relationship he had with us, the way he does it is by relationship. He sends himself, he sends his Son to be with us. A lot of people think of Jesus as a good man or as a, uh, a mighty prophet, but, but Paul says we don't look at him that way anymore. We see him differently. We recognize that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that, that in Jesus all the fullness of, of God was pleased to dwell, that he is the image of the invisible God, that, that in him we see a new way of relating with God. In Jesus, we see that God's plan to fix the broken relationship of sin is, is not to send us a list of rules to follow. We've, we've had a sermon on that, how, how life under God doesn't work. God's way of fixing the problem is not to, to explain how the light switches work so that we can carry on with life and he can go back to what he was doing. No, we've, we've had a sermon on that, life life over God just doesn't work. God's solution to the problem is not just to give us whatever we want and be done with it. That's not who God is. We had a sermon on that, life from God. Um, God's solution is not simply to give us a job to do and if we do the job well enough, then God will be happy with us. Life for God doesn't work. No, there's elements of truth in every, in all of that, but But God's solution, ultimately, to the problem of human rebellion is to come and be with us. In Jesus, we see who God truly is. And and it's like there's a spark to make us want God and desire God. He shows us God's love and God's compassion for us. Stage one, treasuring God. But but Jesus came not just so that we might treasure God, he came also that that we might be reconciled with God. Have a look at verse 17. It's just an incredible verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life is gone. Has come. That first sentence in the original is a lot shorter. It's more literally, if anyone in Messiah, new creation. If anyone is in the Messiah, new creation. If we belong to Jesus, we have become a new people. We are, we are part of the, the transformed universe that God is going to take everything now and, and remake it. Uh, new creation is different from this one. There's um, a connection though. It's, it's, it's this creation with all the bad bits taken out. And, and the Bible says that this whole world of ours is messed up because of sin. The only reason there is 
war and sorrow and, and sickness and suffering is because of human rebellion against God. But, but in the new creation, God himself says that he is going to dwell with men. The dwelling place of God will be with men and he will be their God and, and they will be his people and, and there will be no more sickness or sorrow or suffering or, or anything like that. It's going to be this creation with all the bad bits taken out and it's going to be even more glorious than this creation ever has been. And Paul says right here, if you are in Christ, you are already that. In Christ, you are yourself with all the bad bits out and multiplied even more glorious. Is anyone excited by that? Can I have a slight amen? No? Two hands up. If we belong to Jesus, we have become new people. And I think one of the most amazing things about the new creation is that there will be no divide between God and creation and people and us. There will be no glass window between us and what we desire. We shall see him face to face. And you know what? God will not be holding his nose and turning away. Have you ever walked down the road when somebody's put down pig manure on their garden? It's horrible. Look, it does good for the garden, but I hate it. I think that's probably the kind of picture we should have when God deals with our sin. It's not a cold calculating. You've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned. It's ah. That is disgusting. I can't bear to be there. God is perfectly pure. He cannot stand sin. And yet in the new creation, there shall be no more sin. All the sin, all the the burnt bits will be taken away. To be a, a new creation doesn't mean to be even more independent. It means being more dependent on God. It means walking with God. It is God, of course, verse 18, 19, uh, bear with me, we're, we're almost through. The estranged one, the one wronged against, it is God who initiates reconciliation with us. The whole movement towards us is from God. It's a gift from God. We can wrongly view the gospel as our chance to get right with God. This is, uh, there's no Americans here so I can put on my American accent. This is your one chance to get right with God. There's a bit of truth in that. But I want to turn it on its head. The gospel is not about our chance to get right with God. It's about God saying, I've made a possibility for you to get right with me. It doesn't start with me. It starts with God. It doesn't start with me saying, God, I really want to get right with you. It it starts with God saying, I really, really want to be right with you. And I really, really want you to be right with me. I I miss you so much. 
And I miss you so much that I'm willing to die for you. The cost is, is just immense. Our, our sense of justice comes from God, I believe, and, and it says that if we do the crime, we, we expect to do the time. Well, actually, we don't expect to do the time. If somebody else does the crime, they should expect to do the time. We're hypocrites in that way, but the gospel says that although we did the crime, we rebelled against God, God has paid the price. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. The only way that we can be reconciled with God, brought back into a good relationship with him, is if the stink of our sin is done away with. And the wonder of the gospel is that God did that in the life and the death of Jesus. Somehow, God made the sinless Savior, the Son of God, to be sin for us. He took on Himself our sin and our suffering and our wrongness and our inadequacies. And God judged every single thing in our lives, not in my frail body, but in that of His Son who knew no sin. And having judged my sin in the body of Christ, God goes an, an even more amazing step and says, and I'm going to judge His righteousness in your frail mortal body. Isn't that incredible? I, I read a, a sermon by John MacArthur and he asked a very good question. If Jesus, to die for our sins and be raised for our new life, if that happened on Easter Friday and Good Sunday, as it did, why didn't he just come for a weekend trip? Why, why did God send Jesus, born of a, a Virgin Mary, why did God send him for 33 years? If all that's needed is three days. On those three days, God judges your sin and my sin, our rebellion against God in Jesus, and finds him guilty for us. But John MacArthur suggests that the, the 33 years that Jesus spent on this earth before then, Jesus lived the perfect life so that God could credit his perfect life to our account. The cross is where God judges Christ for us. And it's because of his perfect life that we are credited with his righteousness. There's more to it than that, but, but isn't that a great thought that Jesus lived for our righteousness and died for our sakes? And so the question is, do we respond? 
We were always meant to live in a right relationship with God. God, through Christ, has made a way for us to be reunited with Him. But what He has done, what He offers, verse 20, demands a response. With the barrier of sin and death, that plate glass window separating us from God, it's been taken away. And the way for us to be with God has been opened up and all that we have to do is to trust Jesus. And whenever a Christian Paul, Paul speaks there, just, it really makes me think, Paul says we plead on Christ's behalf. You might... I don't know where you, you stand. I, I, I know most of you here today have been Christians for ages. But, but even so, where, where do you stand on this spectrum? You've heard this before if you've been in the church for a while. But ask yourself again. Do I treasure God or do I treasure what He can do for me? If I treasure God, do I really want to be reconciled with Him? And if so, the way has been made open. to come next week uh, we went a little bit long today I'm sorry for that but uh, it was good stuff old stuff good stuff um, tell me the old old story why not next week though you know we finished at a horrible place treasuring God yes 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 he's good he's wonderful there, there is nothing where else have we to go when you alone have words of eternal life Jesus yes we want to treasure you and yes you've made the way possible for us to be with you but but you've where are you? You've gone back to God. And, and, and how do we actually experience reconciliation with God? Now and forever. Next week. Same bat channel, same bat time. Or bird as the case may be. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are worthy of all of our our praise, thank you that, that you are infinitely more worthy of anything in this world. Lord, help us to get our priorities right. Help us to, to see the magnificence of who you are, to see your love, to see your heart for us, to, to, to see you there with your arms stretched out saying, I miss you, to see you on your knees going, I just long to be with you. And I pray that, that we would long for you with that same desperation, dare I use that word, Father. And I, I thank you that you have made the way possible for us to be with you. Oh, Lord, thank you. And Lord, for those of us who, who feel like perhaps we don't know you, I pray right now that, that we would accept you. 
Father, we trust you. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are God and that you came and that you died and took our punishment for us. And Lord, we believe that you lived and, and we believe that we have right standing with God because of you. Our rubbish lives have been swapped for your perfect life. We trust you. And we hold to your promise that if we do, we will be with you forever. Amen.